Hi, this is Pastor Emily McGinley from Urban Village Church, Hyde Park, Woodlawn. If you've been to UVC, you'll know that we seek to be three things, bold, inclusive, and relevant. We know that there are countless folks across the country and out there in podcast land like yourself, seeking a message that will bring insight, hope, encouragement, and joy as we do this thing called faith. Please consider making a financial gift to help us with this work of inspiring, equipping, and sending out agents of gospel life and inclusive love. Just go to www.urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks for listening, and God bless. Our passage for today comes from Luke uh, chapter 14, verses 12 through 24. Listen for what God is saying. Then Jesus said to the person who had invited him, When you host a lunch or dinner, don't invite your friends, your brothers and sisters, your relatives, or rich neighbors. If you do, they will invite you in return, and that will be your reward. Instead, when you give a banquet, invite the poor, crippled, lame, and blind, and you will be blessed because they can't repay you. Instead, you will be repaid when, you're, when the just are, resu- are resurrected. When one of the dinner hosts heard Jesus' remarks, he said to Jesus, Happy are those who will feast in God's kingdom. Jesus replied, A certain man hosted a large dinner and invited many people. When it was time for the dinner to begin, he sent his servant to tell the invited guests, Come, the dinner is now ready. One by one, they all began to make excuses. The first one told him, I bought a farm and must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I bought five teams of oxen and I'm going to check on them. Please excuse me. Another said, I just got married, so I can't come. When he returned, the servant reported these excuses to his master. The master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go quickly to the city streets, the busy ones on the side streets, and bring the poor, crippled, blind, and lame. The servant said, Master, your instructions have been followed, and there is still room. The master said to the servant, Go to the highways and back alleys and urge people to come in so that my house may be filled. I tell you, not one of those who, will, who were invited will taste my dinner. May God add a blessing to the understanding and living out of the scripture. Good morning, fam. Um, please join me in a word of prayer. God, we give you thanks for the gift that it is to come together and to uh, be thankful, to reflect on the things uh, that we have to be thankful for, as big or as small, as significant or insignificant as they may seem to us or to others. Um, we thank you for the gift of waking up today and to having a place for having a place to go to be in community. We pray for those who are not with us today, who are traveling or spending time with um, family or friends or just relaxing, that you would um, restore their spirits and bring them back to us um, healthy and well and full of um, your goodness um, that we might continue to grow together. Uh, Clear away the clutter of our hearts and our minds as we enter into this time of reflecting on your word. Help us to hear what it is that you have to say to us. Help us to receive that and to be transformed by that in whatever way that you lead. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. So a few days ago, um, I saw this image pop up on my Facebook feed. And it's kind of an ad by this uh, very enterprising guy named Jeremy Guinness from Baltimore. And it says, tired of your family asking where your Christian boyfriend is at every holiday get-together? Rent one today. And so he lists two packages to choose from. The first is for four hours, which includes a background story of how you met and an Instagram or Facebook picture. For that, the price is $20 and a plate. 
The second deal is all day, and that includes matching outfits, background stories, telling a few jokes, offering to say the prayer at dinner, calling your dad pops, a little PDA, the option to begin ministering at the table, a family photo, and videos. The price for that is $50 a plate and a to-go plate. Now, part of the reason why this ad is so funny, I think, is because it taps into something that can be true for a lot of folks. Thanksgiving and most family holidays um, can be a challenging time. Uh, the curious slash aggressive questions that uh, show up, how come you're still single? Have you gained weight? Uh, what did you do to your hair? Um, all of those things that sort of stir up your insecurities, right? And for all of the warm and fuzzy advertisements that might be very true for some families, there are plenty of individuals and families who really struggle with the fact that their lives and their circumstances are falling short of those photogenic portrayals that you see in the Williams and Sonoma catalog. Whether it's uh, the deep exhaustion that accompanies microaggressions like these of all kinds, uh, toxic behaviors, political or religious differences and longstanding disagreements, estrangement or rejection of one's identity, there are all kinds of reasons why people have thrown up their hands and opted out of traveling home for the holidays. Of course, there are also those folks who are simply too lazy or too broke to make the trip. But regardless, these folks end up exchanging their family Thanksgiving for Friendsgiving, right? Friendsgiving is a time when folks in that first set of categories can gather around a table with chosen family to enjoy belonging, belovedness, and the belief that life can be full of all the things those advertisements are selling, even if it is with a ragtag group of folks. The table is where so many of our relational dynamics play out, today and even back when Jesus was doing his thing. And that's exactly why it features so frequently throughout his ministry. For Jesus and for the early church, the table wasn't just host to food and drink. It was loaded with economic, social, and political meaning. Whether, where you ate, who you ate with, how you washed before eating, and which seat you took, all communicated different messages about who you were and what people thought of you. And so, of course, because Jesus has no chill, the table was exactly where he started making trouble. In our passage for today, we drop in about midway through this super awkward dinner conversation. Jesus is sharing a meal with some religious leaders, and it's important to understand that this particular meal was a special kind of performative meal. And by this, I mean that it was a very public meal, where the table conversation was set up and intended so that people could listen in. You might think of it as something like a fishbowl conversation, right? The people who sat at the table were at the center, highly educated, prominent thought leaders and public intellectuals. There were the hosts, the religious leadership, and then there were the invited guests who rotated through with every meal, sort of like that show The View, right? Where there are several co-hosts and then there's guests who are brought in um, who serve as kind of like the primary subjects of the conversation. The dining room is huge, and there's, so there's this table in the middle, but then there are rows of seats that like circle around the table in these sort of concentric circles. And maybe even beyond that, depending on how interesting or popular the guest is, right? there are folks hanging out in standing room only uh, rooms in the connected rooms nearby trying to listen in. So the temple leadership are the hosts, and Jesus is the special guest who maybe not everyone at the table was super crazy about. But they all knew that Jesus was an influential, popular public figure, someone who people were interested in. And maybe they were looking for like a ratings boost, right? Who knows? 
So it's this sort of C and B scene event, and yeah, it's been kind of an awkward start to the meal because just after everyone has taken their seats, at the beginning of this chapter, the author of Luke makes a note of how Jesus is like watching people sort of compete for the best seats, right? And once people get settled in, Jesus says this thing that basically like crowns him the king of shade throughout the Roman Empire. He says, when someone invites you to a wedding celebration, don't take your seat at the place of honor. Someone more highly regarded than you could have been invited by your host. All who lift themselves up will be brought low, and those who make themselves low will be lifted up. So he just like calls everyone out for, for their jockeying for the seats. And so the meal has sort of started off salty before they've even received their first course, right? At this point, I want to make a joke about how dessert is, reve- is, is revenge served cold, but I'm going to hold myself back from that. Um, because while folks are coming in expecting a theological debate about all those lofty religious questions, Jesus is here to disrupt the politics of the very table that they have worked so hard to get at. He wants them to see how the whole mentality that they have been working from is not only bogus, but completely antithetical to God's vision for community. It's not about styling and profiling, but rather connecting and reflecting. Jesus wants folks to be less about image and more about authenticity. And with this in mind, uh, Jesus gives the host some unsolicited advice. He says, don't ask your preferred people to join you at dinner. Instead of trying to level up socially, politically, or trying to build that guest list that will put you further up the political or workplace uh, ladder, whatever ladder, uh, instead, Jesus says, invite those folks who have nothing to give you in return, the ones who actually no one wants to see sitting at the table. Instead of aiming for your top options, your friends, your brothers and sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors, choose the lowest options, the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. And while you will be leveling up with God when you do this, you won't be leveling up in the ways that pay off for you in the immediate. And an- but there's another thing, right? Those top-tier people, they could actually take you or leave you. Several years ago, there was a dating book that made a big splash among singles called He's Just Not That Into You. Um, And the title says it all, I think. It's kind of a new age self-help sort of guide aimed for single women, um, which tells readers that if someone you're interested in isn't making the effort to pursue you, they're just not that into you, right? Have you ever had a friendship in your life where you feel like you're doing all the work? You're the one initiating the invitations. You're the one calling to stay in touch. You're the only one trying. They might be nice people, and they might even actually care a lot about you, but they're just too busy for you. And for all of their busyness and legitimate excuses, they're just not that into you. Well, in a way, this is what Jesus is sort of building up to in this story that we read this morning. There's a man who wants to have a dinner party, and he invites all of his usual people to come out, right? But they've all got excuses, legitimate ones too. Not the I gotta see a guy about a thing excuse, right? But major business deals, like I have to close on my house today, or I just bought a new car and I have to pick it up now. Even the I just got married excuse isn't that ridiculous when you understand it within the Jewish uh, the context because Jewish law exempted you from entering military combat within your first year of marriage. Maybe a modern day equivalent would be something like um, I'm on maternity leave, right? So the issue isn't that the excuses are bogus or kind of weak, but, but really, well, the friends are just not that into the host, right? They're not willing to make that dinner a priority. That's the point. So when the servant comes back with the report that none of them are willing to move their schedules around to make time for the dinner, the host is like, 
fudge that. Uh, okay, new guest list. Go to the streets, the busy streets and the side streets, and bring the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. So the servant goes out and he does just that and comes back to the master and tells him there's more room. Okay, says the host. Uh, let's draw the circle wider. Go to the highways and the back alleys and urge those people to come. I want my house to be filled to the brim. Listen, not one of those yahoos who were invited to the first time around are going to taste my dinner. And it's going to be good. So this is the story that Jesus tells. I'm going to like give you a, a little bit. We're going to zoom out a little bit. This is the story that Jesus actually tells right before making that one st statement that everyone tries to pretend isn't in the Bible, especially when they're talking about Christian family values. That statement where he says, whoever comes to me and doesn't hate their father and mother, spouse and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even one's own life, they cannot be my disciple, right? And so when you read it in this context, though, um, it's not like Jesus is telling you to hate your family. Um, what he's really trying to say is that if you really take this relationship with God seriously, if you really believe in the work that it takes to build a world where wholeness of life for all is real, you best understand that it may mean you have to make decisions that aren't always going to fall along party lines and loyalties. Because part of the reason we got into this mess is that everyone was too busy looking out for me and mine instead of putting their eyes on the real prize and checking their choices against the values that they say that they have. All the lines are being redrawn, and it's confusing and scary and chaotic. But it's also liberating and hope-inducing and full of possibility, because it means that we aren't bound to people and behaviors and ways of thinking that we know that we know are abusive and corrosive and divide us from one another. We're not trapped anymore. We can do this differently, Jesus is saying, but you have to be willing to do it. It can't just be me. I can show you how to do it, but you have to participate. And there's another thing going on. There's this thing that the host says when he sends his servant out a second time. If you'll remember, he, he says, at first, he says, go to the city streets, the busy ones and the side streets. And that would be sort of like the first level of outsiders. But then there's this second level. When the house still isn't full, he tells the servant, go to the highways and the back alleys and urge people to come in, those people to come in. The highways and the back alleys. Those are the folks who hang out, the people who hang out there are even further down the totem pole, right? We avoid the alleys, right? We avoid walking on the highways, right? Those people, Jesus has said, um, Jesus says, they're going to need more than an invitation. He says, urge them to come because they're not going to believe it. They will need to be urged because there's no way they could ever believe that a wealthy person throwing a dinner party would ever invite them. What's the catch would be their first response. It would be easy to miss this little piece, um, but it's really important. Urge them, he says, because he knows. He knows that they've already counted themselves out because they've been told in no uncertain terms over and over that they do not belong. I can't tell you how many people come to UVC and hang at the edges of this community for months, even years, before they really believe that we are who we say we are. I minister to a lot of people who have struggled and suffered from the effects of pastoral malpractice. Folks who have struggled under the weight of spiritual abuse and theological mistreatment. Too many people who have been told that there is no place for them at God's table. And so when they come to a place like UVC and they hear this whole bold, inclusive, and relevant spiel, they stand in the back and wait. 
They wait, wondering, when is the other shoe going to drop? Wondering, what's the catch? Too many people have been excluded, conditioned to believe that they don't belong, that there is no place for them. So Jesus says to those of us with the power to invite, which is all of us, in one way or another, we are here, right? So that means we have the power to invite someone else. He says to all of us in one way or another, repair the breach. It's not enough to invite the people who have always been invited. Draw the circle wider. Treat the trauma. Put another leaf in the table. Bring in more chairs. Make sure everyone, and especially those who need to be urged, make sure that everyone knows they are really, truly invited and that there is a place for them at God's table. And when we do this, the funny and beautiful and wonderful thing is that when we do this, we, we believe just a little more that we too belong. Because for those among us who have endured microaggressions and exclusions, there is always that niggling little anxiety in the back of our minds, like, like having PTSD, right? Wondering, will there be a moment when I suddenly don't belong anymore? God has invited you to the table. God has invited you to the table. You belong. And the only string attached to that invitation is that you have to invite someone else. That you're not the only one who gets to experience belonging and belovedness. The table is getting wider, and it's supposed to get wider. So pull up a chair, and while you're at it, bring someone else with you. There is plenty of food to go around. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you have designed a table that can grow infinitely larger, that there is a place and a place setting for every person who would come. We ask, God, that we would not squander that opportunity, the many opportunities that you bring into our lives to invite someone to your table. Help us to be people who are secure enough in our own sense of belonging at your table, that we feel the kind of ownership and, um, and initiative to be able to tell someone else with confidence that they too belong. Help us to be the kind of community that helps us remember and believe and truly experience that sense of belonging, not just for ourselves, not just for our own healing, which surely we need, but for those around us who maybe even need it more. And we thank you, God, that in that strange math of yours, that when we invite others, that when we convince others and remind others that they belong, that we are more deeply rooted and convinced that we belong. Help us in every way possible to be confident in our standing before you so that we can invite others to, to the table as well. We thank you for your generosity. We thank you that you are the gracious host who doesn't take no for an answer, who goes out not just into the busy streets and the side streets, but the highways and the alleys, searching, looking for those who don't think that they belong, urging us to come closer to you and to feast at your table. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.